You will join me this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are continuing in our series called Ordinary, and this morning we are looking at ordinary gifts. And our key words for our worshipers in training are gift, serve, and body. Now I wonder how many of us actually feel useful in our day-to-day lives. When you think about the work you do, whatever it is, whatever you set yourself to on a daily basis, typically, do you consider what you focus all of your time on, all of your effort on, do you consider it useful? Useful to you, useful to others. I remember when I was in basic training in the Army in 2002, the goal was to make sure that we were always busy doing something. It didn't really matter what it was, but sitting down and relaxing was not an option. The U.S. Army was paying us to be there, and we were going to work. So we waxed floors that had already been shined immaculately. We cleaned toilets that were already clean enough to eat off of. We remade beds that were already made. We swept hallways that hadn't seen a bit of dust for years. And when you're doing things like that, I still remember to this day, it's very easy to think, I really don't see how I'm serving any kind of useful purpose right now. And perhaps there are aspects of your life and your work and what you go through day to day that leave you thinking, I don't really see any meaning in doing this. What purpose am I serving? And one of the things I hear from Christians from time to time is, I just don't see what role I play in the church other than just being there. I come on Sundays and that's about it. What purpose am I serving? And really, that's a great question. We should ask that question of ourselves. We are a people who believe we are created with meaning and purpose in our lives. And perhaps the tasks that we set ourselves to seem uh, uh, meaningless and menial and insignificant, but the Lord is always at work in the midst of those. That's what we've been learning over the past few weeks. He's teaching us, he's growing us, he's shaping us as his children into greater Christ-likeness and ultimately into greater communion with him. But we need to ask this question, what is the role that each of us plays in the body of Christ? Do we feel like we're just waxing already waxed floors? Or is there more to what we are doing as we gather? We've spent most of our time in this series looking through what it means to live an ordinary Christian life, but mainly we've focused on what that is for us as individual Christians. This morning, I'd like to focus our attention on what it looks like for us as individual Christians to come together as an ordinary church, as the body of Christ. What does God intend for us as Christians within the body of Christ? as members of the body, as parts of the body? How do we function? What should our membership look like in the body? How ought we to exercise what God has given us? I want to turn our attention to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. But before we read, I want to give us the larger context. 
In 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, Paul is focusing his teaching on the conduct of God's people in the congregational gathering of the church and the contribution that each member of the church is called to make within the body. In chapter 11, Paul emphasizes the ministry of the word of God and prayer being the primary means of engagement as the church gathers together. In chapter 12, where we're going to focus our attention this morning, Paul emphasizes that while there is a variety of gifts, we were all members of one body in Jesus Christ. In chapter 13, Paul gives the single criterion for the exercise of our spiritual gifts, which is love. And we make our contribution to the body of Christ, not for our own good, but for the good of others. And if it is not motivated by love, we've given nothing of value. This all means, as Paul really summarizes in chapter 14, that we should seek to exercise the gifts that God has given us in such a way that they do the most possible good for others. Our individual objective as believers ought to be on the collective focus of doing the most good for the overall body of Christ. So hopefully right away we see clearly that this mentality that is so common This mentality of me and Jesus, or I'm part of the church, I've heard it before, that's the only reason I'll say it, to get my praise on. Or I go to church so I can get what I need, whatever's going on with other people doesn't really matter. Well, that kind of attitude is directly opposed to what God is actually calling us to as a church. And Paul's going to show us what it looks like within the body, that it really does matter what we think about those around us. And these things in our lives that seem completely insignificant within the church actually do matter. So let's look carefully, beginning in verse 12. We'll read the whole passage and we'll come back and look at the individual parts. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, in fitting with what we've been looking at for several weeks now, I want you to notice something about what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, as members of the body of Christ, you need to be doing things that are earth-shattering and groundbreaking and revolutionary. If you're not, you will not be a faithful follower of the Lord, and the church will fail. That's not what he says. In fact, Paul is saying quite the opposite. If you look ahead one more verse in verse 27, he really gives us his main objective. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And as he writes to the church of Corinth, he reminds them, you as Christians are Christ's body. You have been made members of it. You are all different parts of it that make up the whole. So Paul's discussion here is really on spiritual gifts. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are people living life together, striving to be knit together to see lives changed, to include our own lives, and to see a local community grow and flourish around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, there's really three things that Paul talks about in this passage pertaining to gifts in the local church. The individual gifts of the members making up the whole body of Christ. He speaks about the unity of the body, but then he talks about the diversity of the body, and he wraps up our passage this morning talking about the interdependence of the body. So let's consider each of these individually. First, the unity of the body, and we see this in verses 12 and 13. When the church of Jesus Christ functions properly, it functions like a human body. This is the image that Paul wants us to have in our minds, a body which is made up of individual parts. The body is composed of all the individual parts that make up the whole. So the parallel that we have here is that as individual Christians, we have specific gifts that God has given to us. And we employ those gifts as God has intended And when we do that, the body moves and functions the way it was intended to move and function. In verse 13, Paul reminds us that we are all baptized into one body. In other words, we have all, as Christians, entered into the body of Christ. We became members of the body, and, he says, it didn't matter If we were Jew or Greek or slave or free, now that we are part of the body, we drink of one spirit. In other words, when you look around this room, you see all kinds of people. We all have different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different socioeconomic statuses and different kinds of parents. Some of you have really sad stories about your past and about all that you've endured. Some of you did a lot of things early on in your life to nearly wreck yourself through all kinds of pursuits. Others of you were born in a church pew 
and you sang hymn 113 when you were still attached to the umbilical cord. Some of you have college credits from 15 different universities around the country, and some of you maybe didn't make it through fifth grade. Some of you are running out of space on your skin. (laughs) I think you may start to look at your appendix to see if it can also be tattooed. But others of you are going to drop everything and run and wash your hands as soon as you get an ink spot on them. But here's Paul's point in all of this. In the midst of all of our differences and all of the things that define us as individuals, we are members of one body. As a church, we are all together in Christ, and so there are no distinctions. There is a oneness, a unity that we have in Christ. And our differences coming together as one is proof positive in and of itself that this is God's design. There's no other reason in the world that people like us would hang out together. There is one Holy Spirit, and he dwells within all of his people, He has reconciled us to God, and now he unites us together in Christ. So at its foundation, the church is a community of equality. There is a oneness to our existence as the body of Christ. We are brothers. We are sisters. We are sinners saved by grace. We were once enemies of God, created in his image, and we are in need of Christ. We all have that in common. The 19th century pastor Charles Simeon commented on this in a sermon he preached. He said, whatever may have been the former profession of any man, whether he have been a Jew or an idolatrous Gentile, and whatever be his present condition in society, a free man or a slave, he is no sooner baptized into the faith of Christ than he becomes a member of Christ's mystical body. Let the disparity between them be ever so great. It makes no difference as it respects their relation to Christ or to each other. The least honorable members of the body are as much a part of the body as the eye or hand and as much dependent on the head by which they subsist and which they minister. And this is precisely the connection in which the lowest as well as the most exalted Christian stands to Christ and to the collective body of his church and people. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. In other words, not one of us has a higher or lower standing with Christ. All of us are in Christ just the same. So you can think of your your greatest hero of the Christian faith, perhaps even the Apostle Paul himself. Paul had no greater standing in Christ than you or I. We are all part of the body. So let's think more about Paul's illustration of this body. It's important that we draw out some important implications of this illustration. A body is living, it's breathing, it's active, it has vital systems that hold it together and make it function. A body is valuable, it's growing, it's changing. And that's important because the church is not like something 
uh, like a building or a car, for example. A building or a car is a highly structured thing. It has pieces and it has parts, but once it's together, it is what it is and it serves its function over time. It decays, it crumbles, eventually it needs to be upgraded. A body, though, is an organism. It's constantly being transformed. And so Paul says we are all members of a body, and this is one of the greatest joys of being a part of the family of God. The fact that all of us are individual parts of the body means that we're all important to its functioning properly, and we're all connected And when everyone is doing their individual parts as the body, when we're working together to fulfill the calling of the local church to bring about the purpose of the whole, the body's healthy and it's growing and it is strong. But where does the unity come from? How is it that we, as a collective group of people, can come together week by week to worship together and to love and care for one another? Well, Paul told us, again, in verse 13, it's something God does himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. All Christians have been baptized by the Spirit. And so we are united to one another because the same Spirit that is in you is the same Spirit that is in me. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Scriptures, And so as you and I read and study the Bible, the Holy Spirit illumines the truth of the word and convicts us of our sins. And then he leads us to repentance. The Holy Spirit drives us to be reconciled to one another when we are at odds with other members of the body. So Paul is showing us that our unity isn't because we look alike or we all come from the same neighborhood, but because we are all filled with the same Spirit of God. We are all led by the same Spirit of God. We are all reading the same Spirit-inspired Word of God. We are all convicted of our sin by the same Spirit of God. We are all loving one another with the same love poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. So the Lord baptized us in himself, making us Christians, and then we continue to drink from the well of his kindness, which enables us to live a new life individually, patterned after the Lord Jesus, that we can come together collectively. So you see, the unity of the body of Christ is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit. However, with the Holy Spirit, unity is not only possible, it is the natural result of those who follow God. It's the natural result of the lives of people who are walking in communion with God. If we're walking with the Spirit, if we are one body, and we are concerned about functioning for the common good of the body, there will be great unity. But what happens when there is disunity in the body? It's a sure indication that the members of the body are not walking in communion with God. It's all disoriented. It breaks out the unity because one part of the body or multiple parts of the body begin to try to function in a way other than what they were created to function as. So I hope you see Paul's point here. In the body of Christ, there is great unity because of the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. And as we function, the way we're created to function with the gifts we've been given, there's great unity in the body. 
But then he goes on to talk about the significance of our diversity in the body of Christ. In verses 14 through 24, the Apostle Paul deals with our diversity. Just because the body of Christ is unified does not mean that it is uniform. In fact, it is best that it's not. That's the point that Paul is drawing out. If every part of the body was an eye, then what would we do without hands or without feet? And so in God's wisdom, all of us are called to serve a different function. Uniformity would not be of any benefit to any of us. The diversity of the body is what makes the body function properly. Now remember, we're talking specifically here about spiritual gifts. God has given numerous gifts of various sorts and kinds to the church for, as Paul writes back in verse 7 of this chapter, the common good. Our gifts are for the common good. And that's a very important thing to remember here. So often when we get in discussions about spiritual gifts, this aspect of it is largely forgotten. The gifts were given by God for the common good of the body, not for us individually. So let me say it this way. If the supposed gift that you are exercising does not serve the common good of the body of Christ, it's either not being used properly or it's a false gift. Now, among the gifts that God gives, some of them are very public. They're worked out publicly. They're in the view of all who are a part of that body. For example, the role of a pastor in a church. The office of pastor, uh, we often refer to it as life in a fishbowl. A pastor and his family live a life that is pretty much on display in front of others. And in some sense, that's the way God has intended it. And so it's important that any man who takes that role by God's grace is qualified biblically to hold that office. But there are other gifts in the church that are exercised in obscurity. Gifts that are worked out and sometimes the entire rest of the body may not even recognize they're doing it at all. Even though if what was being done wasn't being done, it would be detrimental to the body at all. I'm guessing most of us probably don't think too often about what our kidney, uh, our kidneys are doing. It's probably not something we're constantly thinking about. I hope my kidneys are functioning right now. Uh, when there's a problem with our kidneys, though, all of a sudden we begin to think about it. It's on our minds. How do we get it fixed? Or when you have a kidney stone, it's not all that fun. We begin to think about our kidneys. But for the most part, day by day by day, they are functioning, they are operating in obscurity. We don't pay attention to it. But if they weren't functioning, if they were breaking down, we would know it because the body would be suffering. The body would not be doing well. And so you see, whether the gift is very much in the public eye or if the gift is in absolute uh, obscurity, it does speak to the fact that all of it is important. This isn't a competition. All of the gifts God gives us are necessary for the good of the church. 
And what we need to be concerned about is whether or not we are using our gifts. In fact, it could even be said that the body can function without a finger. And that's a very visible part of our body. The body would never function without its kidneys. It would shut down and it would die. And so sometimes the gifts that are exercised in obscurity may be very important to ensure that the body has life. We may limp along if the foot's not working well, but we will die if the kidneys are not functioning. And there's a silly story, I know I'll tell you that up front, but it's about four people in a church. And their names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. The church had financial responsibilities and everybody was asked to help. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody ended up doing it. So everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Then, of course, the church campus needed some work and somebody was asked to help. But somebody got angry about that because anybody could have done it. And really, it was everybody's job. In the end, the work was given to nobody, and nobody did an excellent job. And that became a pattern. When work was to be done, nobody could always be counted on. Nobody visited the sick. Nobody gave of their time and money to support the church. Nobody was a very faithful member. So finally, the day came when somebody left the church and took anybody and everybody with him. So in the end, the only one left was nobody. And that may be silly, a silly story, but it really clearly illustrates what happens time and time again when churches all over the world fail as individual members to see ourselves as a vital part of the diverse body of believers who are unified by the Holy Spirit. We will always assume that everything is being handled by somebody, and even though a lot of things that can be done by anybody, they end up being handled by nobody. And then the body begins to suffer. It atrophies, and eventually it dies. But here's the difference between the body of Christ and the human body. The body of Christ doesn't die. But as God's people, we've been called to something quite different. We've been called to be a church against which the, hell, the gates of hell cannot prevail. So in other words, the picture Jesus gives us is the, is the church, and, and there are gates to hell, and they're standing in defense against us, and yet we are fighting, and we are pushing, and we are breaking them down. Well, how is that even possible if we're sitting back and saying, well, I'm just sort of here. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, and besides, if I even did know, I don't think it's possible that I would be doing anything important. But Paul corrects that kind of thinking. Just like your body has many parts, it's the same with the church. There are many parts, and all of those parts are different, but they're all a part of the same body. The pinky is not the nose, and that's a good thing. But the pinky and the nose are important, and they are necessary, even though they are different. 
So just the same within the church, we have very diverse parts to play, diverse roles which we need to fulfill so that the body will function properly. Now here's something I want us to think about. What is your spiritual gift? Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. What is it? A lot of times I hear people say something like, I would really like to share the gospel with my neighbor, but I just don't know what to say or how to say it. When I open my mouth to say something, nothing comes out. I just stand there awkwardly and we stare at each other. And I'm going to say something really shocking right now, but give me a minute to explain what I mean before you get up and leave. If you're thinking, I really can't tell my neighbor the gospel, I will absolutely just pass out and die, then guess what? You may not be an evangelist. Now hear me out. What I'm not saying is that you don't have a responsibility to take part in the mission of the church to make disciples. What I'm also not saying is don't get to know your neighbor and build relationships with them. But what I am saying is that God has uniquely gifted some people within the body to be evangelists. And if that's not you, then you need to figure out how your spiritual gift works in a way that the gospel can be communicated to your neighbor. So for example, perhaps your gift is hospitality. Invite your neighbor over for dinner alongside someone from our church who has the gift of evangelism. And by their natural gifting, they will likely have a conversation that will be spiritual in nature and allow them to share the gospel with them. But you're not any less a part of the body because you used your gift and exercised hospitality when the other person came alongside you and used their gift to evangelize. You're working together as the body of Christ to make disciples. And in fact, that's, here's what that does to each and every one of us. It really forces us to recognize what our gifts actually are and to use them. So instead of me being able to hide behind not being good at something or not being equipped or whatever it is that I want to say about it, instead I have to say, what are my gifts and how do I use them? How do my gifts work to fulfill the mission of the church? We are not let off the hook in terms of fulfilling the mission, but we must use our gifts to do that. And my gifts are different than yours. Maybe for you, it's simply inviting someone to church, picking them up on Sunday mornings to give them a ride and introducing them to everyone as they come because you have a gift of encouragement and you want to see them engaged in relationships with your church family. Maybe you're very administrative, you're task-oriented, you're very creative. What kinds of things are you doing to help uh, the church to overall be able to share and spread the gospel far and wide? Maybe you have the gift of helps. How are you serving the individual parts of the body through practical, hands-on helps? How are you using your gift to bring your neighbor to a place where they're going to hear the gospel? So listen, not everyone's going to sit down with someone and have the ability to eloquently lay out for them the gospel from A to Z in a way they're going to understand. But what you can do is an engage in person with your spiritual gifts and say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Or, I'd love it if you came to my small group on Wednesday night. Or, I'm having several friends over for a barbecue this Friday. I would love it if you came. 
So I hope you see our gifts not only work to serve the body, but they also work to serve in the task of fulfilling the mission of the church, to make disciples. But think too uh, how our gifts work to serve the body of Christ, other Christians. Just being here in this place of worship this morning, I can think of when the first car pulled up this morning and when the last car will leave later on this afternoon, there are probably no less than 50 people in this church who have contributed in some way to make everything work the way that it does. Some of these things you'll never know about or think about. Everything, your bulletin had to be designed and written and put together. The musicians had to practice the music for us to sing. Someone had to put the words up on the wall so we knew what to sing. The sound system needs to be controlled. Recordings need to be made. We have five Sunday school classes and all of those need teachers. We have a nursery. There are people right now over there watching your children while we worship. We have those who hand out bulletins and greet visitors at the door. We need to make sure we have people who will collect the offering when the time comes. We have people reading scripture and men who pray and a preacher and those who will count the offering and those who will straighten out our resource area in the back and those who will make sure we have coffee and breakfast and that the grass is mowed and that our light bulbs are changed out and that the air is a good temperature and that our budget is balanced so that we can pay for our electricity and the funds, and we have the funds to do missions and all that we're involved in. I could go on and on and on, but I hope you see the point here. As a body, functioning together, we have ample opportunities to stand back and say, maybe there are a lot of great ways I can serve the body and utilize my gifts for the common good. There are a lot of really good things that happen that you may never know about because they happen in obscurity. But I assure you, if they weren't happening, you would know about it, because we would all suffer. There is some caution here we need to advise. And that is this. Just because there's a lot of activity in a church doesn't mean that the church is fulfilling its mission. Sometimes churches look kind of like beehives, and there's always a lot going on. But the difference is that they're not producing any honey. I've been a part of churches that have meetings scheduled on top of meetings to make plans for their next meeting. I've been in churches that have monthly congregational meetings to vote on the purchase of office supplies. I'm not kidding you. All the way there is no means by which people are growing in their relationships with one another, with their family, with their neighbor, and with the community of God. Their communion with God is suffering because their time is spent doing all kinds of stuff that feels busy, but it's not really accomplishing what God has called the body to accomplish. This is why we want to be very careful as a church that we not schedule all sorts of things that take us out of the patterns that God wants us to be a part of, that we can fulfill what he's called us to do. If you haven't figured it out, we are very intentional about not being a very hectic church with a ton of programs. Why? Because the church as an organism 
that depends on Christians developing and using their gifts instead of creating programs to put round pegs into square holes. We want to function the way God's created us to function, not in the way that we want to create the church to function. In other words, we want to function based on the church's gifts and the means of grace and not on a bunch of other things going on all the time. We find that to be far more biblical and in the end, far more growth-inducing. It may not be really exciting and cutting-edge and innovative and creative all the time, but I hope that you see in your own life, in the lives of those within the church with you, that work is going on day by day to bring about growth and maturity in the long run over the long, slow journey that we're walking together. There's nothing wrong with things outside of our worship gathering. We do plenty of things outside of that. However, we don't want to continually add to and add to and add to without asking how is this benefiting the body of Christ to fulfill the mission that God has given us? And in that, how are we all being encouraged to utilize the gifts that God has given us to accomplish that mission? And here's another caution that's important for us because we have a diversity of gifts. We have to be very careful to not assume that other people's motives may be something other than what they are. In other words, other parts of the body may not be as passionate about certain things as you are. So maybe there are things that you live for in terms of serving the church. And while the body needs to collectively be supportive and helpful in those things, not everyone is going to be 100% fired up about it like you are. And that is okay. In fact, some people might not even participate in it. And once again, that's okay. Why? Because as we've been looking at for a few weeks now, Before anything else, we are called to fulfill some really important, ordinary things in various seasons of life, and some of those things can take a great deal of time and effort. They are things that differ. There are, now, there are things that all of us are commanded to do, and we have to be a part of those. God commands them, things like gathering for corporate worship. That's a non-negotiable. It's driven by God's command. It is essential to our Christian life. So unless we are sick or providentially hindered with a real problem, we should be gathered with God's people on the Lord's day, regardless of whatever else the world wants us to do with our time. That's a non-negotiable for all of us. But there are other things we do as a church that we all should be supportive of, but as individuals, we may not be all in. And that's okay. We should rejoice in the diversity, that others have opportunities and others have gifts, things that they're able to do in ways that we ourselves might not be able to do because we don't have the gifts or because in this season of life I'm not able to be committed to that specific thing like I was previously or how I want to be in the future. But your thing is not the most important thing. We have to remember that. It's part of the bigger work of the church. So if your focus isn't on the common good, but rather on being recognized for your thing and making sure everyone is on board the same that you are, whatever it is, your focus is wrong and your motives are probably off. Our gifts are for the common good of God's church. 
So let's be careful not to use them as a means to elevate ourselves to the level of self-importance. We need to be sure we're not the focus, but that all of the focus is on Christ and making sure that his body is moving together to fulfill its ultimate mission. Well, lastly, Paul addresses in verses 25 and 26 our interdependence. We've already talked about that a bit throughout all of this, but you and I, as the body of Christ, we need each other. I'm really sorry about that. You need me. I know you're going to ride home today and try to deny that, but you need me. And I need you. Because God uniquely gifted each one of us for the common good. And when one of us fails to utilize our gifts, the whole body will suffer. If you're, a, if you're an arm and you just stop working because you'd rather be a spleen, even though you're not even remotely close to having spleen-like qualities, the entire body will suffer. So whatever your gift is, it's given to you so that the body won't suffer, so that the body will be built up and edified by your using your gifts. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We're called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to not give up or to grow weary in doing good to one another. The older men and the older women are called to invest their lives in the training and encouragement of the younger men and the younger women. And the more we serve one another, and the more we serve alongside one another, the stronger the body grows, and the more we learn about one another, and the more we're able to fulfill the mission that God has given us. So you see, not everyone has the same gift. And the way we bring encouragement and edification in the gathering will vary also according to our gifts. But everyone should be pursuing the same goal which is to edify the congregation in love. We may all edify in different ways, but we are all edifiers. We do not all have the same function, but we are all commanded to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There is an interdependence of our gifts. They need one another to function properly. And simply by virtue of our being disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking as members of the new covenant, all Christians have a privilege and a joy and a responsibility of being involved in the work that God is doing all throughout the world. And I want to say that most of Ephesus Church utilizes the gifts that God has given us to edify, to build up, but not everyone. There are a few of you that need to examine yourselves today. What are your gifts? How are you using them for the common good of the body of Christ? You are a part of the body. So how are you going to make sure that the body is healthy and growing and functioning properly? And look, our whole point throughout this whole series of sermons has been that this isn't something that is some over-the-top, amazing, radical thing. It's a really ordinary pursuit. But it requires two things from each and every one of us. The first is this, authenticity and transparency. We who are who we are by the grace of God, 
we're all really messed up in a lot of ways. I am, and so are you. Why can't we be honest about that? The primary thing that God requires of us as we come into the Christian faith is to say, I'm broken, I'm hurt, I'm full of sin, and I need a righteousness outside of myself because I have nothing of worth to offer. So instead of spending the rest of our Christian life trying to prove other than that, we need to be authentic and transparent. And the more we pursue that, the more we are freed up. Each of us will be utilizing our gifts because we're not having to fight through a facade. We're not having to try and pretend to be something we're not. And then we'll know in the end that Jesus is our only hope, not ourselves. And so if I have to do a gift that is found in obscurity, it doesn't matter to me. Because my goal is not to be seen. My goal is not to to show myself righteous. My goal is to edify, to build up, and to serve the body of Christ for the common good. And the more real we are about who we are in light of who God is, the more we can do that. And lastly, we have to have a right understanding of the gospel and what it is and what it does if we are to work rightly as the body of Christ. As a member of the body, I don't just sit back and say, well, I'm more like an appendix. Nobody really knows what I do or why I'm here. (laughs) It's just sort of occupying space. And if you know anything about the body, that was a joke. Nobody knows what the appendix does, but it's there. But none of us in the body of Christ are without function. We get this. I'm not, I'm not good enough to contribute mentality sometimes. But here's the thing. The gospel absolutely affirms that. You are absolutely not good enough. You're not. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot make yourself good. You cannot earn a spot on the team. All of us are terribly messed up at some level. But we need to run to the cross when we're messed up and not away from it. It reminds us that God knows we're not perfect. And yet, anyway, he has made a way for us to be cleaned up. And as his child, God has provided in Christ a righteousness for us that frees us up to live our lives in such a way that we're using our gifts to make much of Jesus and even the most ordinary, mundane things of the church and of our individual lives. And so we're not spinning our wheels to prove something. We're working out the things God has gifted us to do to benefit the common good of the body to make much of him. And that's it. And so in terms of our work, that's what the gospel does. And so the question is, how are you doing What is your spiritual gift and how are you using it for the good of the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us as your people to be members of one body. That you have gifted us, each of us, individually, uniquely, to function in such a way that the whole body would be able to fulfill what you have called the body to do. 
We thank you, Lord, that in our gifts, as they vary, that you give us unity. That the more we work out our individual gifts, the greater the unity of the body is, the stronger it is. The more we work out these things, the more the body is built up and strengthened. And Lord, we recognize that all of this can only happen as we are pursuing the common good of the body instead of our own good. That we would die to self for the good of others. That we would willingly and regularly die to self that the body of Christ would be strengthened. That the people of God would be encouraged. That the church would be continually rallying against the gates of hell because we have the sure promise that a faithful, living organism of the church will not fall captive to hell, but that we will endure and we will break down the gates and that by the power of the gospel, you will overcome And so we pray, Father, as your people, as your church, as your body, that each of us would know what our gifts are and that we would utilize them to fulfill the mission of the church, to make sure the body is strong and healthy, and to bring you great everlasting glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.